0: Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Fabiola Campbell, I am so excited to have you on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it.
1: Oh no, the pleasure is all mine, Jules. It's fantastic to be here with you, uh, and thank you for the invitation.
0: Oh my, uh, my pleasure, and I love what you're doing with migrant women. But I'm jumping ahead, so why don't we start with what is it that you're actually doing now, and why? You know, what what are you doing in, with your business right now, and why did you set it up? Maybe.
1: So the main objective of what I do is to close the gap between employment or professional employment and migration for women. So I love it. one of the things that I've noticed, uh, I, I am a migrant myself. Yeah. Um, when I came to Australia, I just didn't know how to be, speak English and I have to, to learn how to do that. But even for migrants with very high skills of English, it is not easy to find a job in a new of course country. not,
0: because it's so much of it is who you know and your networks. And when you come to a new country, you have to start all over again so you don't have them. So, so is, that your, is that your full-time job? Is that what you, you run the Professional women's migrant, migrant Women's um, Association?
1: So, so it's the Professional Migrant Women. And no, it's not my full-time job. It's my part-time job. Um, I do work as a professional trainer, yeah. um, an organisation, so um, that's what I do. I combine the two things.
0: Right. Amazing. So what was it that w- what was it that made you go right, I've got to set up an organization for these women and, and being yourself as well. But what was it? Was there a light bulb moment where you said something that just tipped you over and you went, that's it, I'm going to set up this organization?
1: Yes. So I I wouldn't say that it was a single moment, but it was um a series of moments over Probably two years. Yeah. Um, And I got to a point in my career where I needed and wanted to do something else. Um, I think I got myself into a place where I was performing professionally and I was kind of happy. But then, you know, I I get to the three-year mark in every job that I feel that I waste or, or, you know, different opportunities. And I couldn't quite find... The thing that I wanted and the, the truth is, is that I didn't know what I wanted at a time. Right. So I started exploring different things, um, networking. I knew that I had a passion for, you know, connecting with people in community. Yeah. Um, connecting is one of my top values. I do have a passion for empowering women, working with women, helping women.
0: Yes, um, love that bit. So it all uh, sort of came together,
1: and and you know, yes, and and being a migrant, you know, I did find myself in this space where there were many other migrant women like me, uh, and it felt to me that there was like a a gap, yeah, you know, in the and, market, absolutely. Uh, yes, um. A few people started approaching me asking me for help oh how did you how did you get the job you know how did you do this and by the way that ha- that has been going on for many, many years um, and I help many of my friends along the years but you know um, about a year ago, I started doing public speaking uh, speaking with uh, people from different communities uh, migrant communities, and these questions keep popping up time and time again. And it's funny because uh, not, um, so it was about August last year, I was listening to a podcast on diversity and the person being interviewed said that the best way to close any skill gap is through mentoring. Right. And that was an idea that stuck with me and, uh, you know, At the same time, I was getting all of these questions from women, from professional migrant women trying to break into the job market in Australia. And and I think that at that time, things started to come together. Yeah. So how did that happen? I realized that, number one, I did have the skills that I needed. So as a professional trainer, I am used to facilitate workshops to um, to introduce con- content, to, to share, to learn from others. Uh, so that was one thing. I have the skills to do it. Number two, I did have the experience, uh, yes. a first-hand experience or expertise um, of being a professional migrant trying to find a job in Australia. Yeah. And uh, I think the most important thing was that I did have... The desire. Yes, uh, and it was you a point
0: where I said, "Well, sorry, yes, be-
1: uh, It was a point where I said, "I can do it, and I'm going to do it." You know.
0: I uh, love it. I it's I not love only it. say,
1: "Oh, yeah, it will be a nice thing to do." No, no, well, you know, I can do it. I have the skills. I have the know-how. I have the expertise,
0: and, and I'm I know that people need it. For yeah. It. Yes. Yes, and, absolutely. Um,
1: um, that's how, you know, I I started doing this. And
0: Fantastic. Um, so it's been a ride. Fantastic. So what I'd like to ask you now is to take me right back to your childhood and tell us where you came from and how you have ended up in this role now and um and and how it's all evolved. I want to hear about your entrepreneurial journey and your business and your career. So because you're from a Brazil originally, that's right, isn't it?
1: No, well, no. it's it. That's a very tricky thing. Okay, you tell do. the story. So I'll listen. Born, yeah, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I was born in the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne, Victoria. Oh.
0: believe it or not. <laughs> right.
1: Uh, so my family was living here in Australia for about two years. I was born here in the last year when uh, of 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 their life in Australia and I migrated or I went back to Venezuela when I what? was about six
0: months. So why was your father here in the first place or why was your family here for two years? What, what, what brought that yeah. about?
1: My dad is a medical doctor mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm talking about the 70s and um, Melbourne was um, the place where the first kidney t- transplant was done.
0: Wow, didn't and, know that. Uh,
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, We have done so many firsts here. It's really uh, fascinating. So my dad was sent from uh, uh, the university, his university, to study nephrology and to study how to do kidney transplants. Right. So that's why they moved to Melbourne for two years. That was the time that he was studying. Mm -hmm. And obviously the whole family moved here and i was born here you know i was born here during the lo- those two years um right. when my dad finished his studies we moved back, back to venezuela and uh, my parents being venezuelan themselves um well we we spoke spanish at home and even though my my siblings learned how to speak, uh, speak english when they were little um I had three siblings (laughs) at the time, but um, I'm one of six, so two were born after me.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's a lot of brothers and sisters.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Big family. So, um, yeah, we didn't keep English. We didn't keep up the English language at home. Right. But there was one thing. I was an Australian citizen by birth.
0: Right. The only one in the family.
1: And the only one in the family. And my dad was a person that loved Australia. And he <laughs> always talked fantastic, uh, you know, all, about all his experiences in Australia.
0: He just loved it here, his time here.
1: And, and and I think his dream was to come back to Australia at some point in time. And, and he hasn't. Yet. Uh, but what that did to me was to install that one uh, love for Australia, and, and and he made me feel so proud of being Australian myself, you know. Yeah. Um. So and 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 two, have that desire to to see uh, my birthplace, you know, and, and and to to check it out to see what yeah. it was like, you know, uh, that thing of being Australian. Um. So you know, I grew up thinking and believing that I was Australian through and through you know
0: <laughs> isn 't that funny that 's re- that that just sounds really funny to me because we we migrated to Australia or emigrated to Australia from um, the, the Europe when I was um 12 and my father was exactly the same my mum and dad just loved Australia from the moment we got here and forget barracking for anyone else in the football or the cricket it always had to be Australia straight away so <laughs> I know that love that people have for the country when they first come here but oh, yeah. it's lovely that your dad took it back to Venezuela and brought you up thinking you know you're you're Australian even though the rest of us aren't
1: yes and uh I think that's very interesting because, you know, well, I did have my Australian passport. I mean, I have a birth certificate that proves that I am Australian. Yeah, right? absolutely. But, um, when um, I came to Australia for the first time, when I was 27 years old, I right. had graduated as a professional. I had been working in Venezuela as a professional.
0: What, were you do- day- what, what profession were you working in?
1: Yes, I, I graduated as a criminologist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
1: And, and did you and did
0: you work as a criminologist over there?
1: Yes, I did. I did work for local government and I did work for crime prevention. Right. But you know, there got a point in my life that I, you know, I did have to take the chance. I was single. I didn't have any dependents. I, I had a dream, and 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 I had to take it. Uh, it was the right time to do it.
0: That is amazing, though. Lots of people would just have the regret that they never had done it. So it's incredible that you're here. How long ago was this, by the way?
1: Uh, That was 16 years ago now.
0: You're kidding me. Did you say you were 37 when you came? 27, but... 27. Thank you. I was going, hang on, you don't look anywhere near that old. Okay, so keep going. <laughs> yes. Um, so how did how did you decide to actually do it? Did you say to your dad, look, I'm go- just going to go? Or what was yeah, that like?
1: Said, I actually said that to my mom. Uh, yeah. I, um, a friend of mine said to me, hey, my cousin is moving overseas and um, I'm going to the airport to say goodbye to him. Do you want to come with me? And I said, yeah, why not? So uh, his cousin was a bit younger than me at the time and... And he was migrating to the U.S. Uh, he has sold all his possessions, including his car that was like, you know, um, his most precious thing. <laughs> and, yes. uh, he didn't know how to speak English. He was uh, traveling with a tourist visa and he was willing to risk it all to go right. to the U.S. and to stay. He went with a tourist visa. And when when I was at the airport and seeing him Taking this big step, I saw, oh, God, I wish I could do that. And then I said, hang on a second. I can. (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) And I speak better English than him. You know, I have no issues with getting a a, a visa because I do have an Australian passport. And I can go. I mean, he was going to the U.S. I wanted to come to Australia. But then I realized, I can do this. And uh, that day I went back home, uh, my mom was at home, and I said to my mom, mom, I'm going to Australia next year. And she said, huh? Look, I, I, I think, you know, when I think back about that moment, I know my mom believed me from, from, from the time I said that. I don't think she was surprised, though.
0: Right. She's heard your father talking about it all the time as well. So she knew what you'd grown up with and she knew it was a good life for you over here.
1: I believe so. I believe so. And she didn't make a fuss about it. You know, she didn't say much at all, but that day I made up my mind. And one year later, I moved to Australia. I needed a year to save money to, to come to
0: Australia, yeah. basically. Amazing. So tell me what that was like. So what's it like when you land here, you've got no family, you've got no connections, you've got no job. How was that?
1: Well, can I just take you a little... Uh, a yes, of
0: course. Back? Of course.
1: So if you think about that Fabiola, yeah, that 27-year-old Fabiola that was a go-getter and, and could, you know, eat up the world, in front of her and could do anything and, and it, it it was like a like a superwoman kind of thing you know
0: yeah
1: um there was nothing too hard for her and 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 she has achieved so many things and and moving to australia was just the next natural thing for her to do you know okay and the other thing is that if you think about that person she knew that she would uh, conquer australia as well
0: and you have um, totally. But I bet it was. But I, I mean, I know when I went to live in London for five years and I had family there, it was so hard. I don't think I've ever had such a difficult year to just establish myself and meet people and, and that kind of thing. So you do. And I felt like, oh my God, like England's just going to embrace me and I'll talk to anyone and it's going to be so easy. <coughs> but it isn't always that easy.
1: Absolutely. And that's my point. Yeah, because that superwoman stayed back in Venezuela. <laughs> and, uh, you I know, don't as,
0: think so. <laughs>
1: as soon as soon as I put a step out of that airplane, I became a migrant. And right. uh, as I said before, you know, I my my English wasn't very good at all. Um, the first time I realized I was a migrant was when I I went to customs and and the person was checking my passport and. And and I have filled my migration card and I put in there, you know, that I was a criminologist occupation or something, you know. And uh, then he goes and he said, (laughs) and I said, oh, could you please uh, speak slowly? Uh, Because I can't understand. And the other thing that I that I understood from what he said was was something like, how come you say that you are a criminologist and you are Australian and you don't speak English? And uh, and that was the moment when I realized that I was a migrant. You know, all that time that I thought I was Australian, um, all that, you know, all those emotions ca- came crashing down on uh, that very moment. Uh, and I haven't even left the airport. And um, and uh, And I think that's when my migration journey started, you know. Then I realized that I... Just didn't know so many things about Australia I didn't know about the food I didn't know about the popular culture I didn't know about some icons and I didn't know about so many things that made Australian people Australian you know right. and even though I was Australian in my heart um, I knew that I had a lot of catch-up to do and, uh,
0: and the other thing sorry no no you go you go and then I'll say
1: yeah, so, and and it's exactly what you said before, Jules. Uh, all my superpowers were left behind and I have to start from zero. And starting from zero is about learning how to speak, you know, uh, from that basic
0: to, thing. So can you just, but tell me when somebody has just arrived in the country and then has, I would say, that not very friendly experience with the customs guy, where do you I mean, did you have anywhere to go? Had you booked yourself in so like what do you do when you literally just arrive and you've got to catch a taxi or a bus from the airport? Where did you go? How did it all how did it all look?
1: Well, I was really lucky to have um one of my parents' friends um from so many years before. Um he was actually waiting for me at the airport.
0: Oh, thank goodness. Good, good. Oh,
1: yes. Thanks goodness for him. <laughs> um, and uh, I've met him um, a few times in my life because he had been to Venezuela mm-hmm. before. So, so we knew each other um, and he helped me from, from day one and he helped me navigate the system. Now, Super Fabiola thought, okay, in six months, I'm gonna learn the language, and then after six months, I'm going to go and apply for a job and get a job as a criminologist because this is what I do.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Why wouldn't you think anything other than that? <laughs>
1: um, the reality here was much, much different to that. And um, my friend, who has been working with migrants for more than 40 years,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the friend that, that, that met me at the airport, he, he said to me, oh, dear, your English is so good. Um, um, <laughs> I reckon that in three years you will be able to speak very well and in five years you will be able to understand the television.
0: (sighs) (sighs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, whoa. But but Spanish is so different from English. Like, I, I know myself how hard it is the other way around, so I can only imagine... And and I think when, when we spoke a while ago, I said, I used to have a friend who, who lived in Spain when I lived in London. And she was a very quiet girl who was um, very self-contained and um, I would say not extroverted at all. And we went on a holiday to Spain with her to stay with her family. And she was the most outgoing, loudest person in the room every time. And I remember saying to her, I thought you were much quieter than that. And she said, when you're trying to, when you speak in another language, it's so hard to try and understand the words, never mind show your personality, that, you you know, you'd become a different personality. Did you find that early on? Completely,
1: completely. And I did have to grow into that person, you know. Right. I had to, 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 to
0: reinvent myself, to, right. to have this personality in English, you know. So, and do you tell me, do you still think in Spanish and then translate or do you think no, in English now? No,
1: not anymore. Sometimes it's harder the other way around too. <laughs> you know, when I speak in Spanish, I'm thinking in English as well. So. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. But, you know, the thing is, Jules, that it took me three years to find my first professional job.
0: Three so, years. So,
1: and, and I had everything going for me. Yeah. I did have, you know, I didn't have any problems with visas. I did have access to language lessons. I did have...
0: And um, you had a basic grasping of the language anyway. You obviously knew some English when you came. Thank and you. And a good career, you know, that you left behind. So why did it take three years?
1: Uh, I think... Um, I think there are many different factors you know it's not knowing what to do you know so for example the way i used to apply for jobs in venezuela was very very different to the way it is done in australia number one
0: ah, number
1: okay. two i think like when you went to england or, or or for many migrants you know i heard this story time and time again look if i was in venezuela in fact i moved cities when when I was in Venezuela to find my first professional job. Yeah, but
0: yeah
1: uh, the city that I moved to knew about my university, knew about my yeah, hometown, right. knew, you know, there was a context around me around my identity. Yeah, and all of that context was lost when I came to Australia. Nobody knew about my hometown, about my country, about my university, nobody knew anything that meant nothing right and It was like starting from scratch that's That's a big thing. Number two is that um people don't have networks so for example i I often ask people, you know how do you get your first job? Ah, oh, you know it was my mom's friend or I was working in my parents' uh, business or you know it was my my school friend or you know.
0: It's so true. They, they they always say it's who you know, not what you know when it comes to getting a job. And if you have no networks, then where do you even start? Because going to a recruitment company is a hideous, horrible, revolting experience. I just think they're awful.
1: And the thing is as well is that... Um... We take for granted those small jobs that we get when, when we are teenagers, but those jobs are stepping stones for, you know, the professional jobs that we part to have after we, you know, graduated from university or, or whatever we chose to yeah. do. And we, as migrants, we don't have that. So it's a long process. Um, yeah.
0: And Was even it a here, very, very happy day, the day you got your first job? I bet you were ecstatic.
1: Oh, were you, were yes. you very happy? <laughs> amazing, amazing. Uh, look, uh, and I have seen cases of uh, people being successful at getting jobs, uh, professional jobs, soon after they arrive. Mm-hmm. The other side of this is that they're mainly men. And... Um, and I know that there is a lot of work to be done about, you know, self-esteem and about uh, equal opportunities for women, gender equity, and all of these things. I mean, women make choices for their families. And, and I mean, and, and that's absolutely fine, you know, mm-hmm. you know. But at some point in time, it's more often that women get behind in their
0: careers. Absolutely.
1: And And again, you know, after being 15 years in Australia and having all of these experiences in my life, I realized that I could help. Um, again, you know, I did have the skill set, I did have the expertise, I did have uh, the knowledge. Yeah. And, and I was willing to share that with other women. So they didn't have to spend three years like I had. But they could reduce that time, and and be able to um, to find that job. But what is a job for a professional migrant woman? You know. Well, what that's my next this?
0: question to you. What is it? I mean, what uh, 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 d- because I know, and I would I would not be alone. Almost all the women listening to this would know. If you talk to a taxi driver, for instance, and they're a migrant, they are often an ex doctor, engineer you know, scientists, all sorts of amazing jobs. And I say, well, why are you driving a taxi? And they say, because I can't get any work or I've got to retrain completely. Um, you know, it's so hard. So how does a professional woman who's on her own with no networks, how do you get a job? You tell me.
1: Yeah, so, and I think it's very important to understand the motivation of this woman, you know. She might be um, a superwoman, from the place that she's coming from, you know. She has all that desire, that fire, you know, um, those skills that she needs, and she wants to give back. She wants to use her brain. She wants to uh, be out there in the community making a difference
0: yeah. with
1: the skills, with the training that she's she's got. But she's missing a few things. She's missing about uh, understanding of the local context, the local culture, um the the way uh people find jobs in australia and uh and it's very very interesting because although you don't have networks you don't realize that you have to network
0: yes that's very true that's very true
1: and i and that's probably one of the the scariest things for professional migrant women. I mean, you didn't have to do that at home. You have your natural networks. Yeah. Those things happen natural to you. In here, you have to make a choice.
0: So, Fabiola, I'm interested to know if it takes such a long time to get a job, are there migrant women who think about going out into business on their own? Are there the, What about the entrepreneurial women who say, I'm not going to stick around and wait for a job. I'm going to start something. Or is that just almost impossible when you've got no, you know, when you've got none of the cultural and, and you know, networking and the people and all the rest of it? Or do, or do you find that quite a lot of, I mean, I'm just interested to know your experience of um, what an entrepreneurial migrant woman does.
1: Look, I've seen both. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I am connected to a group of uh, migrant women in business. And you should see the quality of businesses that migrant women are creating in Australia. It's just amazing. Yes? Yeah. Um, But the other thing that I know is that most women don't see, oh, not most women, uh, some people, men, women, migrants or, or not, they don't see themselves as entrepreneurs, you know?
0: No, I know that. I, yeah, I understand. I, I mean, I spend a lot of time going. You can all be entrepreneurs, but you know it. it it's not. All, it's not natural for some people as well.
1: Correct, and and I think that a lot of people um, are just happy to be professionals and to work in their field of uh, you know preference. And so, yes, I've seen many migrant women become entrepreneurs, and I have seen many other migrant women trying to pursue a career with within their chosen field.
0: Right, amazing. So what does um, the Professional Migrant Women's Association do?
1: Okay, so right now, what we are doing is a mentoring program Mm
0: -hmm. and it
1: has a six month mentoring program. Um, During these six months, we give you all the skills that you need to learn what to do in how to get a job in Australia. Right. um, it is easy for you to jump on Google and find how to create a resume and a cover letter. Uh, you can also find tips on how to do networking. Um, you can have, you can find thousands of pages on how to do job interviews. Yeah. But there is one thing that I say to people, you know, I can give you a book on how to swim. But for you to learn how to swim, you actually have to jump in the pool yeah you know
0: i like so, the analogy it's good
1: uh um we provide that self environment that pool where you can you know start training right and, uh, and we provide a community and um and why six months well as a trainer and and <laughs> having done so much or haven't received so much training in my life One of the things that I've noticed is that I can get knowledge, but if I don't put that knowledge into practice, I'm going to forget about it.
0: Of course. Yes. Very true.
1: And the other thing that I know is that finding a job for locals or migrants is not a 100 meter race. It's more like a marathon. Right. So I'm not promising anybody that you're going to find a job in a month or two. What I'm Promising is that during the six months of the program, you will have all the support and you will learn all the skills and you will have all the opportunities to network that I can provide. Perfect. And um, and some of our mentees have already moved on to professional jobs. I mean, we have a very, very special situation right now with COVID going on. We do. Um so the, the job market is way more competitive. But I also know that when women apply the tools that we are uh, sharing with them within the program, they get results.
0: Yes. And, and the other thing is that I think <clears throat> that migrant women and men, but migrant women, you have you have a fire in your belly, is an Australian expression. But, you know, There is, if the fact that you have left everything and come here shows that you have the drive. So I would guess that most migrant women just don't give up easily. So it might take years, but we are not going to give up because we know what, you know, we know that it's, it's, we'll get there in the end. And I think that that is going to stand you in very good stead when you think of what's going on at the moment, because a lot of Australians haven't had that adversity and they haven't got that resilience, Um, that's not to say that they won't grow it, but you've got it already.
1: I agree with you 100%. I have seen it time and time again. And that is the very thing that I say to my mentees.
0: That's their superpower.
1: If, um, I mean, you have options. You can quit now or you can keep going. Yeah. But I know that quitting is not an option for most of the women that we have. Yeah. They're fighters, they're resilient, and they go for what they want. So, yes.
0: Well, you're a fantastic example of that, that's for sure. So, Luke, we haven't got too much longer, but just tell me, have there been any particular moments um, in the last 16 years that you can think of that really... Re- made you sort of reassess things or change things in your life or change direction because something happened. You know, we often talk about how challenges come along and what they do at the time is you go, Oh my God, everything's hopeless. And then you look back a few years later and you go, that actually was a good thing because it made me go in this direction or it made me change. Have you had something like that happen?
1: Many. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can you give me a couple of good ones? Yes,
1: sure. Look, uh, in, in, so, in 2011, I, I started training myself as a life coach. Yeah. I I love it. Uh, one of the things that I love is human behavior. And I did love learning about life coaching. Um, I did set up myself as a life coach. And it was a big, big failure for me.
0: Oh, um, why? I, probably
1: the right time.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: the, you know the right circumstances, sorry, the wrong time, wrong
0: circumstances. <coughs> what did it teach you?
1: Um, it taught me that passion is not enough, that you have to have systems and that you have to have a plan. Um... And he also taught me taught me that uh, you still can can love things and and they don't have to be your career or uh your job I think
0: that's very wise uh, that's very wise that thing that to say that because yeah a, a lot of people try and turn their passion into a job when maybe they shouldn't, and there are also people doing jobs that really need some passion in it <laughs> yes, so I understand, but um yeah.
1: I did uh, do a lot of networking around, around that time. And I did learn so many things about networking. And they were so valuable. But I did kind of quit that path as well. Um, some years later, I joined um, Toastmasters. Yep. And I, I was, you know, for those that don't know what Toastmasters is, it's a club where you can learn how to do public speaking. I loved it.
0: I learned so many
1: things. I I I love the people that I was um, learning with, you know. Um, And I think that at different points in in times, you know. So as I said before, when I came here, I I I was working as a criminologist. Then I move into community development. Then I move into personal coaching. Then I move into facility management, then I move into uh, into
0: organizational training.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, the beauty of what I'm doing right now with the Professional Migrant Women is that it joins all the dots. Great. And it's something I could not plan 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know, um, where all my... Uh, Success and all my defeats came together to make this perfect recipe. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm able to use my public speaking skills, my networking skills, my coaching skills, my. Um,
0: what promoting. about your. Crim- I was going to say, what about your criminology skills? How do you use them?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, the understanding of human behavior, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, and <laughs> The, the cherry on top for me is that I can be a professional migrant woman doing what I'm doing.
0: That's just uh, wonderful.
1: Because that is, that, that's, that is who I am. You know, that's me with the accent and with my story and with my struggles and with my victories.
0: It's, it, it's a very, very inspiring story. I have to say, Fabiola. Um, one, one question that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast, and it's a, sort of a silly one. Um, but is there a, some what we call quirky fact? So something a bit unusual about you that, that most people don't know that you'd be prepared to sa- share with us? Maybe something you did as a child or, I mean, it could be anything really.
1: Look, I'm a very open person. Uh yeah. so most people know <laughs> everything uh, about you. <laughs> a lot of things about me. Um uh I love cooking and I think I love cooking because I love eating. Um <laughs> as a child I used to sing in a choir. <laughs> yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> yes, and I did love it. Um I uh yeah, look, I'm very enthusiastic and out there and, and sometimes people are not ready for that. I'm a hugger.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's their loss, not yours. I think it's wonderful that you're like that. No. Um, now, no. the, last, the last questions are about your phone, only because I love apps on my phone and, no, and I know not everybody does. So it may be that you don't use the, your phone very much for business. But if you do, what would be the two most useful apps on your phone that you use for business? LinkedIn, yes, LinkedIn.
1: very true. So LinkedIn, <laughs> uh, LinkedIn, <laughs> and the Google Suite.
0: And what Suite? Google Suite. Oh, the you Google use suite. that a lot on your phone, right? So
1: I do use email, calendar, uh, Google Drive. You know, yeah, all my of Google it. Suite. I will be lost, and, and I love the fact that I can have everything at my fingertips, no matter where I am.
0: Yes, I I very much agree. I very much agree. And I assume you don't have any games. Do you play on your phone ever?
1: Ah, there is one called 2048. Sometimes (laughs) I, yeah, indulge myself on that.
0: (laughs) Ah, good. Well, listen, Fabiola, thank you so much for this interview. It's been absolutely fascinating to hear about your story. And I'm sure everyone's going to find it really inspiring. You're an amazing woman. I love what you're doing. It's really important. And, um, and, and keep going because, you know, you're making a difference to a lot of people's lives.
1: Thank you, Jules. I do appreciate the opportunity. And it's been an honour, you know, sharing my story with you. And, and um, I hope that your audience can find value in some of my stories. And, yeah, they can contact me. I'm on LinkedIn, Fabiola Campbell, um, professional migrant women. Yeah. Fantastic. Love to, love to connect.
0: When I'm sharing it on LinkedIn, when I'm sharing this ad, I'll tag you and then everyone will be able to, to meet you straight away. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Have a fantastic day.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she's the boss.com.au.